Show is brought to you by Johnston Group, Vittorio Rossi, Trans Canada Brewing, Lou Ferlin, Cambrian Credit Union, and Homefield. Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie, <coughs> excuse me, not post game show. This is the Kenny and Rennie playoff preview as we head into the 2023 Stanley Cup playoffs. I got something stuck in my throat now. My voice is all uh, froggy here. Let's see if I can work my way through this. We will work through it. That's what we do here on Kenny and Rennie. We work through the technical glitches. We work through the bugs. We work through lost voices. This is just what you got to do to get on the other side of these things. So let's uh, get into it. I don't want to get going too long on this. We know that... uh, this is a two a two person show, uh, so let's make it happen. Time to bring in the man with the best music in the business. Here comes Kenny. Mr. Kenneth Weeb, you got a head start on uh, your time in Vegas here. Went straight down from uh, Colorado after the Jets finished off the season. You got a little bit of a head start on the Vegas Golden Knights. Why don't we start there? Because we are going to go through all eight different series, but it only makes sense for us to start with and pay the most attention to the Vegas Golden Knights and the Winnipeg Jets. Um, Some of the things that have stood out to you so far in talking to the Vegas Golden Knights, that's where I just raced back from, had some interesting conversations. Uh, What's standing out to you about the Vegas Golden Knights as we go into a series where though it is a one seed versus an eighth seed, seems like the hockey world is thinking it's not as simple as that. Yep, fair enough, Sean. Uh, I mean, let's start with the news of the day on both sides here on the injury front. Uh, you're just back from it, and I'd like you to dig in a little bit more. But for folks back at home, uh, Winnipegger Mark Stone has been activated off IR by the Vegas Golden Knights and will be in the lineup for them in game one i had a chance to watch mark uh, the previous two days Uh, his first full practice back with the vegas golden knights was saturday he was skating with chandler uh, stevenson and michael amadio who's had a great year i watched him with the optional skate at their practice rink on sunday as well and uh, i know some folks are thinking this is a kucherov special uh, from vegas but uh, i can tell you from watching with my own eyes uh, you know mark has been working on his health and this isn't a situation where he kicked his feet up for the last month he's been working hard to get back and i think he's going to need to get his conditioning back uh, as the as the series goes on here so it's obviously a huge boost for the Vegas Golden Knights up front. And on the back end, they're also getting Zach Whitecloud back. Had a really good visit with him yesterday at the practice rink as well. He's really feeling fortunate that he avoided a serious injury. And he will give a, he will provide a huge boost on the back end for them, probably going to be pay, uh, paired with Nick Haig. 
um, I believe. So th those are two big additions for the Vegas Golden Knights, but they've still got some players. Uh, William Carrier is still out, though he's been skating, and, and we know that their defense or their goaltending situation, uh, you know, is now in the hands of former Jets goalie uh, Lauren Bressois. Had a chance to speak with him on the moment or on the weekend as well, and he's pretty fired up. Uh, about getting his first opportunity. I like there's been some friendly banter. Sean, you were there for Connor Hellebuck saying, uh, you know, the text message will read, I'm coming for you. And I was in a scrum with Lauren Brassois where he said, uh, you know, I, I taught Hellebuck everything that he knows and, and he knew yeah. that with me behind him, uh, I've been pushing him. So uh, I, I think that was, uh, you know, some playfulness there. And I think the biggest part of those two discussions was both guys kind of re realizing that they're good friends. This is going to be a special opportunity. Anytime you can go up against one of your buddies in the playoffs, it's a fun thing. It'll be something that they can uh, both in terms of bragging rights in the summer when they work out and train together. And also, you know, just as your friendship, you always want to want to beat the person across from you. So uh, those are some of the other things. And for me, the other big thing in this series, uh, you know, Jack Eichel, this will be his first chance at playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs and had just a great exchange with him. Uh, at the practice rink, or sorry, at the main rink, uh, I believe on Saturday as well. Uh, this is a guy who's <laughs> I, my my lead in my column was uh, Jack Eichel doesn't know what all the fuss is about. Uh, this is this is a guy who uh, has been playing hockey at a high level for a very long time, and he does not anticipate being nervous when he gets his first taste. He's waited eight seasons essentially for this opportunity. And in talking with Bruce Cassidy, who is an absolute gem uh, in terms of the insight he provides at the podium, uh, he just talked about how Eichel really has embraced and bought into being a better two-way player from the from the moment he arrived uh, at training camp this year with Bruce taking over from Pete DeBoer. So I think Eichel is, is a guy who has the potential to be dominant in the series Sean and you know the x-factors uh, we'll get into a little bit later on I but I'm I'm pretty sure you know who my x-factor for Vegas is going to be because he's the player that I was pounding on the table for the Jets to be trading for uh, for the, about the month leading into the trade deadline and the fact that uh, Ivan Barbashev will be skating alongside Jack Eichel is going to be something that we'll be watching in this series as well and uh, if the Jets defenseman were unaware, and I don't think that they are, of what they're going to be up against. Uh, watch the video of Sam Gerrard uh, from last year's Stanley Cup playoffs. So you best have your head on a swivel when Barbashev is out there. Um, and he's a guy who's really gelled well with Jack Eichel. So it's going to be super interesting. Why don't you dig in a little bit more on Mark Stone? You were in what, what sounded like a very emotional, almost 10 minutes uh, in the in the in the theater room there with the Vegas School of the Knights as he spoke to members of the media about his return. Yeah, maybe theater room is the best way to describe it, Ken. Uh, because if, um, like a lot of people are asserting here, that this is just a scenario where Mark Stone decided he was going to stay out and have a little bit of work done, you know, maybe get a nose job behind the scenes or whatever, or a tummy tuck or whatever it was, and and come back just in time for the playoffs. Um, theater room would be a good uh, a, a good name for it because that was one heck of an acting performance if that is someone who has not survived a harrowing situation in which he wasn't sure if his hockey dreams were yeah. over or not um you know the the timing of this is 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 not great if you're a winnipeg jets fan i think stonewall dave here says stone stonewall dave says it's a kucherov move because if the playoffs started a week ago stone would have been ready for game one and if the playoffs started in two weeks, he would have been on IR until game one. I don't necessarily disagree with this take. Uh, I, do, I, I think that what has happened here, though, is uh, Mark Stone had back surgery. 
and it didn't work. He came back and everything came back and it was a problem. Um, and he had to go for surgery again. He talked with Jack Eichel's doctor, uh, because if everyone remembers right. about Jack Eichel and everything that he went through and, you know, artificial uh, discs being put into his body to try and survive all the problems that he was having. He basically hit the reset button on something that he thought was going to uh, end his career and and jump back into the idea that he was going to do whatever he could to try and make his way back to the NHL, something he wasn't sure was going to happen. Now, I asked him today about the balance between, you know, hey, you come in and you're rested. Is that good versus the rust, all that different kind of stuff. And Mark Stone's response was like, look, I haven't played hockey in three months. I wish I could have played all 82 yeah. games this year. Like if it was up to me. That's what I would have li- liked to have done. Now, I, I do I think that, you know, maybe he could have come in and played in game 78 or 77. I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. But I also think that coming from where he's coming from, taking whatever time he has to recover is probably something that he would have chosen to do. And that him coming back and playing a hockey period is probably something that doctors would look at you and say, listen, we'll clear you to come back and play. But if we had our, our druthers, if we could tell you, you know, the best thing for you is to get more rest and to stay away from stuff like this for another six months, my guess is that's probably what they'd say. There's probably yeah. risk in him playing at all. Would the doctors clear him to play? Clearly they've done so. Uh, but I, I don't know that I take a look at this and think this was a strate- strategic move for uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights to say, let's take one of our most impactful players and take the <laughs> risk that he is going to uh, be able to pick up where he left off and, and play his game and get them over to the top against the, the players. I don't think it's that, but do I think that there's like, could they have forced him back into the lineup earlier? I think they probably could have was one of the reasons they made the decisions that they did have to do with the fact uh, that that you know that could have messed up their salary cap situation. I think it's probably a little bit of both. So I think Jets fans have the right to be a little bit miffed about this as much as anyone has the right to be miffed about something like this. It's within the rules. There's no rules against this. You don't like the rules. Hey, the Jets voted against cleaning up these rules back in 2015. So if you have beef with anyone, maybe you should reach out to Mark Chipman and tell him you don't like the way that he voted on these kind of things back in 2015. Uh, but so people may want to be upset and I think they've got the right to be, but at the same time, I think anyone who's like trying to look at this and say Vegas is out and out pulling a fast one here, I think that they're going a little too hard on this. Yeah, and they don't know Mark Stone. Mark Stone would not agree to be sitting out on the sidelines for no reason. I mean, these are serious injuries, like something that threatens his career. And Sean, you were there. He he told reporters that he doesn't care about his he wants to play now. He doesn't know how many playoff runs he has left, so he wants to play. And he wasn't worried about the long-term and long-range effects, right? So... um yeah, I mean, can they be disappointed? Certainly. But, I mean, if Mark Stone played for the Winnipeg Jets, the same people would be thrilled that this is happening. But, like I said, this is a guy who's going to be he's, – he's one of their best players, but he's going to be eased in on the third line with the guy in Chandler Stevenson who he's played with for a long time. So Mark Stone's not going to jump in and play 22 minutes in game one. At least that's not my expectation. He will play an important role. I don't think his body is ready to play – uh, 20 minutes per game now we'll see what happens as the as the series rolls on but uh I, i'm certainly expecting him to have an impact on the series but um i don't expect him to be peak mark stone in this first round here and sorry i guess we should also get into the other thing uh, a couple other things in terms of the jets nikolai <laughs> nikolai ehlers 
joked that he was uh, having a he was in the midst of a media war with Rick Bonus over his status. Now he was obviously joking when he gave that answer. Uh, and when I followed up by saying, "Do you expect to win that war?" he said, "I sure hope so." So um, officially listed as day to day by Rick Bonus, but Sean, here's the indicator for me, and I, I was actually a little bit. I wouldn't say nervous about it because, you know, it doesn't make any difference one way or the other. But I thought it was curious that the first round of the first unit of the power play, Nikolai Ehlers was over talking to, uh, I think it was maybe Rob Millette, the athletic ther- head athletic therapist. So he did skip one rotation of the power play one, but he was quickly on for the remainder of the practice. And John, we watched him. He was flying on the ice today. He was absolutely flying. Rick Bonus kind of admitting that the issue isn't his skating. His skating is, has never been the issue. There is some concern over him taking a big hit. So, I don't know. It's tough to go into a series and not be hit. So, I think that's where the Jets are probably, you know, maybe going back and forth. But I am i don't know about you, but I expect him to play in game one for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, in terms of Kevin Stenland, he did not skate today. Rick Bonus said the expectation was that he would be on the ice in the morning for the morning skate tomorrow. And then he would be a game time decision officially if David Gustafson, or sorry, David Gustafson will draw in if Kevin Stenland uh, is unavailable. So that's where the, that's where that is at. And the final piece of the injury puzzle: Cole Perfetti uh, wearing a red jersey today, Sean. But Cole Perfetti, while going to the net, uh, was bumped, you know, accidentally by Dylan DeMello, and it looked to be something that uh, we're not sure if there's long range effects, but. Um, he definitely looked like he was in some considerable pain. Rick Bonus did say it would be at least seven, or sorry, ten to fourteen days, I think, before Cole Perfetti would be available uh, for any sort of game action. But uh, that—that's where things stand on all of the injuries. Uh, here, just give me one last second here in terms of Perfetti. Let's just let me get that quote. Yeah, listen, he's ten days or two weeks away. So. That's 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 where that is at before there was, you know, we don't know how Cole will feel after taking that bump in practice today if he wakes up and, you know, who, that that timeline is kind of a floating timeline in, in my personal opinion, given the fact that he's going to will have missed eight to ten weeks at the most crucial time of the season. So if Cole Perfetti can get himself some medical clearance and get his conditioning up, would he help the Winnipeg Jets? Of course, if he can't, if he can be healthy enough to do so, for sure. But it's going to be interesting to see where you know where he would slot in and, and where things are at with injuries and all of all of those things. And I know some folks in the chat room have also been asking about Oscar Salmon and being recalled on an emergency basis. So this is what I was told this morning. It's not like the regular emergency recall where you can only be around if you're if someone's injured and they can't play. This is in the playoffs. All teams have been given the opportunity to call up a goalie on an emergency basis. Salmanen will essentially become the Jets' e-bug for the playoffs. This isn't any, you know, circumventing any rules. All teams are given this opportunity so that they you know, have somebody on call that is not a, you know, in-house contender. So that's where that is at. Um, so we'll see what is happening. I know some people wanted some clearance, and hopefully that is is helpful. But yeah, so if Kevin Stenland can't play, David Gustafson will be the fourth line center. Otherwise, Sean, as we saw at practice today, all of the other lines uh, remaining the same. So no 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 surprises going into the lineup unless unless something happens at the morning skate and there are some decisions 
that get made that we're not ex not expecting. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I'm going to take a hard detour here and just uh, um, Scotty Billick says he thinks Hammer and he are in the penalty <laughs> box after last show. Um, I wasn't here last show uh, and I, I wanted to weigh in on this um, just quickly. So what they're talking about is Hammer went pretty hard at True North uh, for the ticket campaign. Yeah, Ken. Just one thing. Uh, can you send uh, Wino the link? He's going to join us for a little bit when we get into our series previews, I think. so. Sure, sure. Let me just get through this. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try yeah. and get through this really, really quickly. Um, I, I don't have a lot of disagreement with a lot of the stuff that uh, Hammer and uh, Billick had to say in regards to that. I just wanted to make sure that I got on. Uh, people didn't think I was ducking uh, the conversation or anything like that. Um, I, so I think one of the things that needs to be pointed out here is I will say this about Kevin, sorry, not Kevin Shelf day off Mark Chipman. I think Mark Chipman in the way that he has tried to um, repay Winnipeg Jets fans, it's not been in, um, you know, in rink experiences. It hasn't been a lot of the flash and the sizzle. It clearly hasn't been, you know, like, you know, I think it's the Calgary flames that sent out jerseys with all of their, uh, season tickets, you know, like I don't think that there's been a lot of prizes, so to speak, to be a Winnipeg Jets season ticket holder or be a Winnipeg Jets fan that finds a way to support the team in the building time and time again. And there's something to be said about that, and I'm going to get to that. But what I will say is I do think what Ke uh, Mark Chipman has tried to do in his time is I think his idea of how to best repay Winnipeg Jets hockey fans and season ticket holders has been to try and put a winning product on the ice. Now, you can debate the idea of how winning that product has been. Clearly, things were great in 2018, and clearly this looks like a team that is underwhelmed based on the roster, based on what it looks like on paper for a long time. But I do think that the idea of how Mark Chipman thought that he was going to repay Winnipeg Jets fans and season tickets holders was to put a relevant team on the ice, a significant team on the ice, a skilled team, highly skilled players, uh, you know, spent money to keep the really good players around, the Mark Shifleys, the Blake Wheelers, the, Ke the Connor Hellebucks, locking up guys like Ehlers long-term and um, Kyle Connor long-term. So I do think that there's been an effort there to, to reach out to fans in a very different way. And so I want to make sure that that's out there because I don't think this is just a scenario by which you've got an owner who, uh, you know, is entirely out of touch or anything like that or, or, or having problems connecting with his audience. I believe that that is the way that Mark Chipman tries to best connect with his audience. But I will say this. There's, the, I, I think that there's a philosophy change that, that and for what it takes, you know, or for what it's worth, this is just my opinion on this. I don't own a hockey club. I don't have to fill it. I don't have to, you know make things, you know, run for a team in a city and, and play my part with the NHL. But there's a place where I do think the Winnipeg Jets get a little bit of their philosophy wrong as it relates to their fans. And I go back to this, and Ken, you and I talked about this at supper last night. Um, there was an interview, and I believe it was, uh, I believe it was Freezer from the, from the Sun, who had asked Mark Chipman about the in-game experience. Because I think the one thing that any journalist goes out and watches games here in Vegas or anywhere in the league would probably suggest, and Hammer pointed this out about how long it took for them to get their light show and their laser show going. I would argue that Winnipeg probably has the, you know, the least involved 
maybe some would say the worst in-game experience outside of the hockey, all the other stuff that happens within a rink that they try to entertain people with. I would argue that the Winnipeg Jets probably are around 32nd or 30th and below on that list when it comes to the show that teams put on and trying to hook their fans and give them something to be excited about and be entertained by even other than the product on the ice. Now, um, it was said, if I remember correctly, and I'm just going to be paraphrasing this, Mark Chipman talked to uh, Freezer, who had said, you know what, uh, wh- why is your in-game um, uh, presentation not what it is in other areas of the league? And Mark Chipman's response was, Winnipeg Jets fans don't need all that stuff. They don't need the bells and whistles. They don't need anything. They just need hockey on the ice, and that's what they need. And so my take on that, and this is where I think the philosophy change needs to happen, is the idea to me that Mark Chipman has, and I think he does have this, has this rabid fan base that hockey is good enough for them and they just get crazy about it and that's what they're there for and they love it and they don't need all the bells and whistles. And, and so he says, well, I'm not going to do that for the fans. And it, to me, that's akin to having a spouse, a, a wife or a husband that does everything for you, right? They cook, they clean, they do the laundry, they massage your feet when you've had a bad day. They've always got an ear to lend to you. They're, they're just every perfect in every single way. And they're not the kind of people who need you to buy them jewelry or flowers or give them any kind of recognition in any way. That doesn't mean that you don't do that, right? The, if you've got a wife or a husband or a spouse who, who does those things for you and doesn't need that, it's all the more reason to go out and buy them flowers and take them out on a date night and surprise them with a vacation if you can afford that kind of thing. Whatever you can do to show your appreciation to people who do it, not for, for, for the appreciation of it, but just because they that, that's who they are, I think that that's a reason to appreciate those people even more. And I think that that's what Mark Chipman is missing. I think the idea that Winnipeg Jets fans are awesome and have created an amazing environment for years in that building and supported the team through and through. Can I, I know people who've had season tickets, and, and these guys aren't even people who've been there from the very beginning, who calculate their season ticket costs. They've given up buying a vehicle for themselves. People have given up purchasing a deck in their backyard. People have given up putting a pool in the backyard, getting a hot tub, getting that camper. And, and what I think the message that the Jets sent with that public relations campaign, which I completely and totally disagree with the tone of it. I think what message that sends is we don't care about the sacrifices that you've had to make to be the awesome fans that you have been for a really long time. Just get back in line, get in your seat and give us your money. That's the, the, that, that to me is the tone that I take away from that. And I've said this before, Ken, players should be approaching fans like this. Uh, um, Management should be approaching fans like this. Ownership should be approaching fans like this. And people in the media, you and I, should be approaching fans like this. There should be a massive appreciation for fans at every turn for the, the, the money that they invest into us and everyone in this industry for the time that they invest and I just think that that's the message that is lost in all of this. That's what I don't think the Jets have shown their fans and definitely didn't show in that campaign. I just had to get that out. That's what oh, I had good. to say. 
Um, and uh, before we do move on, because we want to give a shout out to everybody, I want to say someone pointed out that I'm looking like a million <laughs> bucks. You're looking good. I like your shirt, but this is most definitely a buddy. My sport. my Rossi's ready for tomorrow. Don't worry about. I that. know you got it going people, on. People, so people who don't know, Sean ran to Summerlin. I've been working this morning. Also, I was in a suit. We shot a nice hit with Dan Murphy for Sportsnet. I was got back to my hotel, and much like Sean does when I'm on the road and he's home time to get comfortable to do some work here people i will be dressed up for the remainder of the series i promise you and if you don't believe me you should do this <laughs> right on anyways just wanted to give a shout out to uh, uh frankie and the boys over at vittorio rossi we look like this because they are the absolute best in the city of Win winnipeg and making people look like this so head on down to Corden avenue see frankie and the boys tell them kenny and Randy sent you they'll do you up right uh ken i don't know I, I don't think we're doing a lamp lighter we'll save that for the shows but just want to give a shout out to the folks down at trans canada brewing company who do so much for us you know what to do head on down there they've got great beers great pizza great food and a great environment first and foremost i love going into that building you want to know what i'm talking about well head on down to 1290 keniston uh join them in their tap room at the trans canada brewing company they've got everything you want for a good night out just like it will be at the year ender bender for kenny and rennie uh we're looking forward to it whenever that happens whether or not it's going to be a long time from now or close to now, we will see. That's all up to the Winnipeg Jets. But, uh, Ken, um, let's Sorry, break we should down. Have a, we should have a lamp later from the last game, game 82. Well, we'll do we'll do that in the first. Okay. Uh, oh, sorry, game. of course. Yeah, got you. Because some people won't good make idea. these things. It's a pop-up, right? We don't yep, want to exclude idea. anybody. So. Good um, idea. Uh, so get, let's, let's get right down into it. Let's dive into, and I'll send Steve... Uh, if you text me his, uh, I don't know. I've got it here. Um, but uh, give me an idea what you think is going to happen in this series, Ken. Well, I mean, one of the obvious storylines is a fun one, right? I mean, it's the the starting goalie against the understudy. I mean, that it's going to be fun, like we talked about earlier. I mean, I think it's not necessarily Eichel versus Shifley, but I think that in a lot of ways, those will be two players that we're going to be watching, right? So Eichel with his first chance, at the Stanley Cup playoffs, Mark Shifley and what could potentially be his last hurrah with the Winnipeg Jets. And that's not guaranteed by any stretch of the imagination, but we know the circumstances for Mark Shifley, for Blake Wheeler, for Pierre-Luc Dubois, for Connor Hellebuck. So um, as much as that storyline will be on the back burner for the time being, those guys can have a big impact on this series. And if they do, that could alter the <laughs> the course of history, for lack of a better term. And uh, I'm not trying to be dramatic here, Sean, but uh, I think that unless Mark Shifley channels his 2018 form, it's hard to imagine the Jets knocking off the Vegas Golden Knights. And I had a very good visit with Mark today. I'm going to write about it in the Winnipeg, or in the Winnipeg Sun. No, I'm not. I'm going to write about it for sportsnet.ca like I always do. I was channeling my own inner 2018 when I was still writing for the Winnipeg Sun, I guess, there. But, I mean, Dubois is a guy who, if he, if he can channel his bubble form, he also has the potential of, you know, having a dramatic impact on this series, you know, getting under the skin of Chandler Stevenson, Mark Stone, maybe Jack Eichel. Um, you know, the matchup game is going to be fascinating in this series. William Carlson is going to probably see a lot of that top line for the Winnipeg Jets, but Stevenson also goes head to head and Eichel's grown into a very good two-way player. Uh, we expect Adam Lowry to try to try to be up against Eichel when the Jets can get the matchup. 
but uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how those things kind of evolve as the series rolls along. But I mean, if Mark, I'm not saying Mark Shifley has to have 16 goal or 14 goals and 20 points in 17 games like he did in 20, 2018, but he's going to have to be an impact player and a difference maker in order for the Jets to have a chance in the series. Don't you agree? Yeah. Okay. I mean, he doesn't have to carry the, he doesn't have to carry the team, but he's going to have to be a difference maker. Well, and, and this is where I think the difference for me comes in this series. Um, I, we take a look at, uh, at the idea of the Winnipeg Jets winning right now, okay? Most of it revolves around the idea that they've got one of the best, if not the best, goaltenders in the world, right? Everyone's saying, well, with Connor sure. Hellebuck, you never know what's going to happen, especially when there's a matchup between Connor Hellebuck and the former backup of the Winnipeg Jets, who has never shown that he can rise to a level uh, at the same place as, as a Connor Hellebuck is, right? Hang on. But it's also the... Uh, yeah, small sample size, but... In his last 10 games, he's undefeated. His numbers are 217, 927. I mean, that, those are hella Buckian numbers, but in a very small sample. That's all. And he's never been a, had a chance to do in the playoffs. So, of course. Okay. Sorry, I didn't um, mean to interrupt. Uh, that's a way, I, you need to read your own shirt and wake up after making okay, that comment. Okay, <laughs> But I, you were just giving the idea of like what Mark Shifley has to be in this series, what he's going to have to do to come alive to, to, to get this Jets team over the line. And then I think a lot of people are also thinking too, well, if, if Pierre-Luc Dubois just does this, and if you know Nick Ehlers is able to do this, and if the power play is able to wake up and so on and so forth, the one thing that stood out to me in this series, and I, if anyone heard me on CJOB a little while ago, I've got the Vegas Golden Knights winning in six in this series. Um, the one thing that stands out to me is Mark Stone has been out of the Vegas lineup for a lot, long time this year. Ken, are you getting me? Because you're frozen in my screen. Yeah, I still hear you. You can hear me? Okay. I don't know if it's my, uh, I don't know if it's mine or yours. Um, but uh, the people in the chat room, yes. Okay. If I can keep going because Phyllis says Rennie is talking and Kenny isn't moving. So Kenny, maybe, maybe, uh, I don't know what you can do as far as that's concerned, but okay, we'll take care of that. Anyway, I've got Vegas winning in six, and this is the reason why. Jack Eichel missed a decent chunk of this season, right? Zach Whitecloud out. Shea Theodore out for a certain amount of time. The goaltending situation. They started the season with goaltenders. Those guys got injured. They were out. That's problematic, right? There's so much that went wrong with this Vegas team that they survived. And the reason that they survived it, and I think what has been the Achilles heel for the Winnipeg Jets as they've played the Vegas Golden Knights throughout this season, I think what it is is it's just a structured team play and this depth down the lineup. So if you take a look at them, it's not that they've got a whole bunch of superstars. It's not that they've got, you know, Ken, are you uh, trying something different? Uh, I think I can hear you, but no, no one can see you. You're not in the show right now. So if you need to get to a different place, uh, you should get doing that. Um, 
the idea that they've got this depth and this structured kind of game that I think leads to what we've seen in the past against the Winnipeg Jets, this just really fast, disruptive style that they play, that we know that the Jets look best when the Jets have this, uh, you know, when they get rolling, right? Those kind of shifts where they go and they head into the offensive zone and they just grind and grind and grind to the point that the other team is getting tired. And then they'll go and the players will change on the fly and they'll just keep grinding and grinding. That's what the Jets look like when they're at their best. I just think that this Vegas Golden Knights team and the way they play, they did it in 2018. They did it again this year. Talked to Nate Schmidt about it. He kind of said that was the issue. Talked to some guys in the Vegas Golden Knights room about their games that they played against them. They said it's a similar thing. They're just really, really good at interrupting the Jets' flow. And the reason they're really, really good at interrupting the Jets' flow is because of the style of game that they play from the first line to the fourth line, all the defensemen, right down to how their goaltenders handle the puck. So we know that Rick Bonus is a guy who talks about the Winnipeg Jets and what it's supposed to make them successful. Remember the whole line about when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, all four lines should look together. That's how you know you have an identity. They should all look the same. That's what the Vegas Golden Knights look like. If you watch them play, there's almost this... I don't want to call them boring, but there's this same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing tendency as the next line rolls and the next line rolls and the next line rolls that really it's, it's, it's not boring, but it's almost hypnotic in that you just have each line matching each other's energy and the style of play and the way they defend and the way they get their offense. This team has a clear identity and they have a clear identity and an ability to succeed without game breakers. And that was the interesting part about I was just just came from, from them and, and what they talk about in their dressing room is they've got Mark Stone, who has the potential to be a game breaker, who has the potential to throw a team on his back and win a series. They've got Jack Eichel. We haven't seen what he've, he's done in the playoffs. But this is another player who's got the potential to throw this team on his back and do some really, really special things. You've got guys on the back end. Super, super uh, defensive back end who are really good at what they do. Good to have you back, Ken. You should see the stuff the chat room's been saying about you since you've been gone. It's been just terrible. They're tearing you apart in there. Sorry, Um, I had to go. I'd switch over to my uh, off the phone here, see if it works. No doubt. But but I want to wrap this up and just say the Vegas Golden Knights succeed in spite of having game breakers. So everyone who talks about... Mark Stone, and wow, they didn't have this, they didn't have that, all these kind of things. Mark Stone's coming back in right now, and it's a tall order to ask him to be like Kucherov and step into the playoffs and be great right off the bat, which we know at the top of his game, he's a great, great player. But they don't need him to be that. He could walk into this series and have a minimal impact, and you could still see the Vegas Golden Knights winning the series with the style of game that they play. You could see Jack Eichel putting up you know, five points in six games in this series or four points or three points, and you could still see this team winning this series because what really makes this the, the, the Vegas Golden Knights a good team that is a first seed and earned their way to a first seed is not great goaltending. It's not a superstar defenseman, although they've got a couple players that, you know, are in that category or close to that category. It's not being carried by one superstar offensive player or two or three or their ability to run up the score. It's the fact that they know their identity, they've shown their identity, and yet they still have players in here who are capable of taking games over 
Whereas I think what we've seen from the Winnipeg Jets that at times throughout the season when they've got to the Rick Bonus blueprint, they've got the style of game that can win games, but they haven't consi- they haven't come anywhere close to consistently thro- showing that throughout the season. Even at the beginning of the year when they were winning and doing well, how many games earlier on in the year did Connor Hellebuck need to steal? We saw an example of it in the last win they had. Yeah, I loved a lot of the stuff that I saw from them in that game against the, the Minnesota Wild, but I also saw a game in which the Jets probably would have lost that game by multiple goals if Connor Hellebuck didn't absolutely stand on his head in that game. Now, can he do that throughout a series? Maybe he can. Maybe that's how the Winnipeg Jets get through this. But you need him to do that in order for them to get by. And so the difference I have between these two teams is I've seen an established game that the Vegas Golden Knights have repeated over and over and over and over and over throughout the system that is throughout the season that is capable of winning this playoff series. Plus it also has game breaking talent on the roster that could come out and put them over the top in a situation where if all things matched up, we're there with the Winnipeg Jets. You probably need a phenomenal performance by Connor Hellebuck. To your point, Ken, you probably need Mark Scheifele to show up and start looking like the 2018 playoff version of himself. And the most important thing, you need the Winnipeg Jets to find a consistent game that I didn't see at the in that last game of the second last game of the year against the Minnesota Wild. I needed to see a Winnipeg Jets team that down the stretch can punch above its weight, play a specific game, roll that game out over and over, not be a team that gets, you know, outshot grossly on a number of nights and have to hold on to their goaltender for dear life to try and get through. And that's why I've got the Vegas Golden Knights winning this series in six. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's, I mean, I, I'm going to take them in seven. I think it's a pick em series, um, you know. Can the Jets win? Of, of course they can win if a bunch of things go their way. But uh, here's the thing about Vegas, Sean. Somehow Vegas, through all of the things that you've mentioned and using five different goalies this season, they won the West. They didn't They didn't back into winning the West. They won no. the West. They held off the Colorado Avalanche. They held off the Edmonton Oilers, all of whom were ridiculous down the stretch. I think their final like they their final stretch was twenty two four and five. We talked about the Jets going twenty wins, nine losses, and one one overtime defeat or out of the gate. Vegas just went twenty two four and five when every team was trying to knock them off, and they rolled through two goalies that weren't on their roster at the start of the season. So, um, I think that. Th- People need to realize that Vegas is a very good team. That's not to say that the Jets aren't, but there's a substantial point differential in the standings, and there's a reason for that because Vegas was great down the stretch here after they they stumbled into the All-Star break, but um, they found a way to be very good down the stretch. So, I mean, I think this is going to be a great series. It has the potential to be... You know, fascinating matchups all around the guys that you mentioned. I mean, Bruce Cassidy was asked about this yesterday during the during his availability, which was excellent. He was asked, you know, would what's it like to not have? They don't have a thirty goal scorer or a seventy point producer in a year that there were ton. You know, I think there were the total was nine or maybe eleven players had a hundred points. Now. 
you have to remember that Eichel, the time that he missed, like you said, he played sixty, he played sixty-seven games. So he's probably would have had thirty goals quite handily if he hadn't been hurt. But they weren't going to have a hundred-point guy this year. Eichel could be one moving forward. And Bruce said himself, "You're not going to, you know, they weren't going to have a sixty-goal scorer on their team." But what Bruce did say is that the difference between Vegas and some of those teams that are reliant on one line. Now, in the playoffs, when you have a chance to get into the chess match, you can get yourself in big, big trouble if you don't have those key cogs producing. Now, the thing with Vegas is they've got three lines that can score, and on the fourth line is Nick Waugh, a guy who could play in the top nine of almost every other team in the league and has played in that role for Vegas. So they've got great balance. Um Bruce said himself here, if you're Winnipeg right now, you're thinking they've got three lines that can score and a fourth that is effective. So there's no easy matchup. That's up for Rick Bonus to figure out, but that's how I would look at our team. Um, they've got some difference makers in the lineup as well, but I mean, so do the Jets. So it's classic. Like Nikolai Ehlers was asked today, Sean, what do you expect from the series? He has no idea. These teams haven't played since December. So there's a lot of unknowns as we go into this series. But what we do know is that Vegas is one of the you know heaviest teams in the league. They play a heavy game. They have some speed. They have plenty of skill. They have a mobile defense core led by the two people you mentioned, a Stanley Cup winner and Alex Petrangelo, and a guy in Shea Theodore, Sean. When I was in the bubble year, Shea Theodore was being talked about as a future Norris candidate. Now, his numbers haven't popped off the page the way that some expected, but this is a guy that is an offensive wizard at times. He's a great skater. And he's worked on his defending. So, and Nick Haig has come uh, a long way this year as well for Vegas. So, the Jets are going to have some guys that are going to need to step up. Uh, their checking line is going to have to be very effective. Nino Niederreiter is a guy that I wrote about in the last couple of days, Sean. Guys like Niederreiter and Nemesnikov in a physical series, those guys are going to have to be physical. Morgan Barron on the fourth line, he's trying to grow into a power forward. This is going to be a great education for him. Uh, going up against uh, Brett Howden and Keegan Colasar and Nick Waugh when those guys are out there against one another. So uh, I think it's super fascinating. Now, Cassidy also joked, he said, if you're asking me if I'd like if I'd like to have McDavid on the team, sure. But their team is constructed in a way that they can survive injuries they have. Last year, they didn't survive it. They missed the playoffs. But this year, they still were among the league leaders in man games lost. And not only did they just survive, they won the Western Conference. So I think I'm with you. I mean, I'm going to take Vegas in seven. I think it's a coin flip series. Uh, it could be a short series if if certain people don't show up for either team. Uh, is there a chance the goaltending doesn't hold up? You got to prove it. You got to do it. But the other part of that equ- equation is that Lauren Bressois has been waiting this for a long time. And he's not going to want to fumble the opportunity. So I think he'll be ready to go. Does that mean he can outplay Hellebuck? You know, that's up to him. But Sean, one thing we can agree on, and it's one thing we say all the time, Connor Hellebuck can't afford to be the second best goalie in the series. If he is, it's going to be over quickly. And I'm not expecting him to be the second best goalie in the series, but that's a lot of pressure on a guy to know that, you know, the team is very reliant on Hellebuck. They have been for a very long time but he's going to need to be great. And it's funny, we we talk about his playoffs all the time, Sean, and I went back and looked at some of the numbers over the years. Even the year where they lost to Vegas, 922 save percentage, 2.36 goals against average 
was his cumulative total for the 17 games. For a first-time starter in the playoffs, those are unreal numbers. But, um, you know, does he have to steal the series? This will be one of the series where if the Jets win, he will have to have an impact in stealing a game or two in this series. See, and that's what I think is interesting is because we've seen Connor Hellebuck be a very good goaltender in the playoffs in the past, and it hasn't been enough, right? Like that, the idea of Connor Hellebuck stealing a series, it, we really haven't seen that bear fruit. To, to be honest with you, there's a, n- a number of other things I wanted to touch on here because a lot of people are saying this. The PDJ NYC says, I'm not worried about 55 at all. This is when he thrives. He'll be on. And Jeff says, let's not forget about playoffs Dubois and playoff Pionk either. We low-key have a group of guys who have shown out in the postseason. This isn't, this isn't true. Like the, the, the history, like we know that one year uh, – Dubois went out and had a really great playoffs. We know that. We know that Pionk has shown well in the past, but this kind of constant idea that the Winnipeg Jets are just a moment away from flipping the switch and what they've shown in the past as they do that in the playoffs is, is not true. Like, if you take a look at the 2019 series against the St. Louis Blues, they were sleepy for the first two games. Then they woke up, and then they went back to sleep at the end of the series and forgot entirely to show up in the most crucial game of that series, the game six of that series. And then... In the play-in against Calgary, they did not look like a team that everyone was saying that year. They were turning around and here it came, and then they ended up getting dusted fairly easy. Now, people, there was always an excuse. Every year, there's an excuse, right? Well, Mark Scheifele was out, and and Patrick Laine was injured. And then the next time they went up, they held it together against the Oilers, but then they turned around and did not show up against the Montreal Canadiens and got swept out of that series. And everyone will tell you, you know, because everyone wants to hold on to an excuse that Mark Shifley was, was, you know, had he been in that series, it would have been an entirely different series. The issue with all this is the idea that the Winnipeg Jets are just going to snap their fingers and take off and go and that there's these hardened playoff proven players is simply not true. And the fact is they have not done a lot in the playoffs since 2018. There's no proof or evidence that what everyone is saying, that this is a team that's been there, done that, is playoff hardened and tested and shows up every single time ready to go for the playoffs. That idea does not bear fruit. The history does not suggest that. So that that's one idea that I entirely disagree with. Now, do I think that there's the potential for the Jets to, to lock in and do something? I think they're capable of doing it. All I can do is make my decisions based on what I see and what I've seen in the past is that team, the, the fact that they're they're able to do it, even and maybe if we're just talking about this series, but the fact that they were able to do it and then lock into a very specific style of game against the Edmonton Oilers and knock off the Oilers, but then entirely lose everything the next series against the Montreal Canadiens tells me that the toughest thing for the Jets to find, as we've said for the longest time, is consistency. Finding consistency, finding their game, getting to that game and staying with that game for an extended period of time. And I think that they'll need that in this series against the Vegas Golden Knights. A couple things I thought were interesting, though, that I just wanted to talk about before I did this. First, I should say this. That year that we're talking about when the Jets were in the Canadian division, I picked the Edmonton Oilers to beat the Jets in that series. The Jets won that series. And then I turned around and I picked the Jets to beat the Montreal Canadiens in the next series. And the Canadiens won that series. So if you're going by Rennie's track record and if, you, if you're looking for hope, well, there's your hope. I call Vegas Golden Knights in six. The other thing I want to talk about here is, and this is if the Jets can find an identity to get to it. Ken, I've been fascinated the idea of what Rick Bonus is capable of. 
in season or sorry, in series adjustments wise as a coach. I think he did it brilliantly when he took the Dallas Stars to the cup. I think he's the kind of coach who could be a real you know, chess player, mind game player, really go up against Bruce Cassidy and make this a very interesting coaching series. That is, if his players are able to go and execute the stuff that he wants them to do, again, how they showed at the end of the series and their inability to get to consistency. I feel like they're a team that are just like sucking in their gut and pulling in the belt right before the playoffs happened. And now they got to keep that gut sucked in because I don't see a team that has the reps of a team that knows who they are, knows their identity, and has carved out and earned and held that identity for long enough for me to believe that they've got that identity locked down. Yeah, I mean, I think they know what they want it to be, but they haven't done it for extended periods of time down the stretch. I mean, I think they did it for a good chunk during the first 30, 40 games, but uh, they didn't do it enough down the stretch. Having said that, when they went 7-3, and three, they showed signs of that template. There was available at times, but here's the other part of the equation. The Vegas Golden Knights are a team that dictates the tempo often and dictates the style, and the style is going to be heavy. They are a relentless back-pressure team. Bruce Cassidy has done an exceptional job of bringing some additional structure to this group. Uh, the one thing that Vegas hasn't done all the time in the playoffs is score. Jack Eichel should help with that. They've got a lot of depth, but that's the one thing. The Jets have some explosive high-end talent, but they're going to need Kyle Connor to be 47-goal Kyle Connor in these playoffs. They're going to need him to be a, you know, a diligent marksman. And he still had a solid year, but, you know, the difference between 32 or 31 goals and 47 is significant for a guy who plays a lot and has a lot of power play minutes, but he has the kind of ability to elevate his game when it matters. But now it's about doing it and, and doing it when it's hard, Sean, right? This series is going to be hard. It will be contested all over the ice and it's up to the jets to answer the bell. Basically uh, they're going to have to show what they're made of. And this is there is a great opportunity for them to do so, but it's show me time for the Winnipeg Jets because if they don't show it, we'll see. I mean, it, it we know the off season whenever it arrives is going to be fascinating. Uh, they have some of the tools that are required to be one of those sleeper teams. You know, some of the people around the rink were talking about that today too, Sean. But you got to show it. You can't just say it. Yeah. Okay. Let's. We got to move on here. Um, uh, maybe we should give some shout outs. Uh, while we're at it for some of some of our... Uh, do you want to give Lou a shout-out before we move on here? Yeah, you bet. Send Wino that uh, email quickly. Try and, and I don't have the email. When we go around the... Where's the where's oh, the sorry. Email address? I'll send it to you. Sorry, right, buddy. Uh, for the here folks who have realty needs, uh, whether you're buying, whether you're selling, whether you're curious about the house on the corner is going for or looking to move to another neighborhood, you can contact Lou Ferlin at Real LePage Dynamic Realty, 204-791-9971, or at the office, not 204-989-5000. His email is lou at louferlin.ca. That's L-O-U at L-O-U-F-U-R-L-A-N.ca. And his website with all of his listings, www.louferlin.ca. Lou Ferlin, excellent realtor, excellent human being, and excellent supporter of the community, including this program, for which we are eternally grateful. Good stuff. Uh, all right, that's sent off. Uh, hopefully, he'll join us right away here because we should yeah, get into ready. everything else. Let's start off uh, with um, let's start off with the Oilers series. Uh, where do you see that one going, Ken? 
Uh, I think it's going to be excellent. Um, I think that the series itself is going to be awesome. It's a great rematch from last year. I think we the Kings learned a lot about playoff hockey. Yes, they had some guys who have experience they also had a bunch of guys who hadn't played a whole lot so some of those young guys got some valuable experience Jonas Corposalo will he hold up that's a great question Uh, I think ultimately the series is a great chess match between Jay Woodcroft and Todd McClellan Uh, but ultimately I think the Oilers have got their game in order and into a place where they're going to win a tight series I think in six games Uh, six games you think okay so I'm fascinated by this series because I I feel like I've been uh, a guy who's been talking about the LA Kings for a really long time. I have a ton of faith in that team. Uh, I keep pointing to the idea that before they got Jonas Corposalo, this team, as dangerous as they were and as consistently as they stayed in the playoffs and in the upper echelons, and we're just going to bring in Steve Wino here because we've made him wait long enough. Steve, great to see you, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Very good. We just went through it. You know what? We're just going to get you to give us a quick synopsis of where you see this Jets uh, uh, Golden Knights series going. We've covered it extensively, and we're going to jump all around afterwards. But uh, people are going to want to know what you see from these two teams and what you expect to happen. It looks like an evenly matched series. And and I know based on the regular season how everybody thinks Vegas is, is favored. And there's a lot of things to like about the defensive structure and the way Bruce Cassidy's teams play. But uh, this is hockey, and, and goaltending to me is where everything is decided. And I know that the Cassidy system is friendly toward goaltenders, but who is Vegas's goaltender? Is it Jonathan Quick? Is it Lauren Brassois? Is it Logan Thompson? There's a whole lot of questions about who is playing for Vegas, and that's not a question for, for Winnipeg, obviously. Connor Hellebuck, uh, he was the number five vote on my Hart Trophy ballot, uh, just given where the Jets would be without uh, Connor Hellebuck. And, and yes, it's going to depend how Mark Shifley plays, how Josh Morrissey plays, and Connor Hellebuck stealing at least a couple of games in the series. But I think it's a long series that's going to have some back and forth in it uh, and going to be a battle of attrition. And I think if, if the Jets get their top players to produce, I think they win the series in seven games. That, that, that's my prediction from 10,000 feet here. That's interesting. Uh, I, the, the one thing I will say just quickly in in response to that is we we talked extensively about this. Ken's got the Golden Knights winning in seven. I've got the uh, Golden Knights winning in six. The one thing is I keep hearing the story about the Jets winning. It always comes down to some like Herculean efforts by specific players. Um, and and I, I to me, I just always when I hear that, I hear code words of these guys are going to have to go off in order to get past this Vegas Golden Knights team. And I think what that is, is it's a recognition that at the base of it and how they play their game, the Vegas Golden Knights as a team are able to raise their game to a place where the Jets, we shouldn't expect they should be able to based on what they've done this season. And it also creates a scenario by which you're suggesting, you know, not suggesting, but, but in order for the, for that to happen to, for the Jets, you can't have, Mark Stone go off on the other side. You can't have Jack Eichel go off on the other side and win a game, or you can't have Lauren Brassois surprising everyone and staying an undefeated goaltender for a couple of games. So that, 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 but I do think it's, I, I mean, Steve, you land on the same thing that I think everyone feels about this Winnipeg Jets team. They're capable of doing things. They're capable of yeah. doing 
really, really big things. What no one seems to be able to answer, and that includes the players themselves and their general manager and the organization themselves, is why they can't have this team come out and consistently do the great things that everyone seems to think they're so capable of doing. That's to me is just such such a gray area for them, and why it's so hard for me to to put faith behind them knocking off a team, a number one seed team like the Vegas Golden Knights. And look, you're right, Sean. They have no margin for error. That, 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 that's one of the things that, as a, as a wild card team facing a division champion, and I'd say the same thing about some other series around the league, that clearly on paper there's a reason why Vegas is a better team. Golden Knights won probably the worst division in hockey. Let's start with that. Uh, but but did, did beat up on, on a bad division and won it there. But we're also close to being the two seed and, and, and facing L.A. And, and this is an Edmonton Winnipeg series, which I would feel very different about because I think the Oilers are the class of the West in, in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. and, I've, and I've got them going far. But there, there's, a, there's a lot of unknowns about the, the Vegas Golden Knights that, that, yes, they've answered a lot of questions with Cassidy and their depth and goal and some other things. We don't know who Mark Stone's going to be when he comes back. And, and, and if he scores six goals in six games, yes, probably it's over and, and Vegas is moving on. Uh, I just the goaltending question for Vegas is still just rises above everything for me. And if Connor Hellebuck isn't a Vesna caliber level goaltender, then the Jets don't have a chance of winning the series. I, I think there's a lot of things that need to go right for the Jets to win the series. I'm just you look around at every series of the league, and every once in a while you think, oh, well, the higher seed's going to win because they're better. Of course they're better, but we see upsets just like we see in March Madness, and I think this is one of them. Um, okay, just because we spent so much time on it, let's flip over. We're going to do the Oilers. Ken just uh, gave us his prediction. Oilers in six over the L.A. Kings. I was just saying when you hopped on, the, the, the L.A. Kings are a team that has interested me for a long time. The one thing that really stood out to me was they had no goaltending for the entirety of the season, yet they were able to maintain their spot in the playoffs and be very consistent in spite of that until they got Jonas Corposalo. And then they went out and went from a negative goal differential team to like plus 20 or whatever it was in a very short amount of time, which I thought showed a, just how capable this team has been offensively all this time that they could run up those kind of numbers in such a short amount of time, but B just how bad they had it with their goaltending. Now I, I, I think I'm on board with Ken with this. I, I would be taking LA in a lot of series here, like I, if, if it was L.A., Dallas, I think I'd take L.A. Same thing against Minnesota. Same thing against Seattle. Maybe even same thing against the Vegas Golden Knights. I think the only two teams that I wouldn't take them again are the Edmonton Oilers and the Colorado Avalanche. And that the thing with this Edmonton Oilers team is down the stretch here, we've heard so many times, and I've talked with a couple of scouts and some coaches about the difference that Matthias Ekholm has made for that Oilers team, how he's changed them. We know how amazing their lineup is. They're deep now. They've got depth players on that team, guys like Matthias Janmark, who, who, do not, who do not get much in the way of credit on that team because there's so many good players on it, but are hard to play against. I don't, I don't want to have to match up against Matthias Janmark for a seven-game series. So the grind that the, 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 the LA Kings are capable of, of putting you through, I think players like that make it so that you can meet that grind. The goaltending woes that they had for so long, Ekholm has fixed so many of those. And let's just be honest, even on the, the worst of days, the Edmonton Oilers could probably keep themselves in a series by trying to outscore the other team. This is the 
most dangerous, most balanced, most deep we've seen this Edmonton Oilers team. And I just suggest that there's no stopping this team. I think that they beat L.A. in five. What do you got, Wino? I, I, I also have Oilers over the Kings in, in, in four or five. I, I, I just I don't trust Corpus Allo. I don't trust Phoenix Copley. Uh, and, and, and the Oilers, look, there, there has not been a better fit for a trade deadline acquisition and a team uh. in years than Matthias Eckholm and the Edmonton Oilers because it seemed like overnight – Jay Woodcroft's team went from we got to outscore our problems to we can defend too. And yeah. Stuart Taren deserves a lot of credit for that. And he's been very good since taking over for Jack Campbell as, as being the starting goalie. But Ekholm in the on defense for Edmonton has just slotted everybody in the correct spots too. He is playing defensive minutes. It allow it opens up Darnell Nurse to play different kinds of minutes. And, and it just helps everybody there. And I also think you look at Connor McDavid, and this year he became the great goal scorer. Next year he might win the Selkie. He can do whatever he wants <laughs> on a given year, right, guys? Like, like he can decide. He can call a shot of, like, what do I want to do this year? And you look at, at, at Connor McDavid and what he's done, and he wants to win a championship. And I think just how we've seen some other teams go from, like the Tempe Lightning from, from 1819 to the year after that, going to being more defensive-oriented teams – you look at the Oilers over the last 25 games, they've won games 2-0, 3-1, 3-0, and been able to kind of lock down games rather than trying to win 7-1, 7-2, and take those extra chances. This is a team playing playoff-level hockey with a, a deep defense and with Conor McDavid. And we haven't even talked about Leon Draisaitl yet, who's a 100-point player, or Ryan Nugent yeah. Hopkins, who's a 100-point yeah. player. Uh, look, I, and I could be wrong. Hockey, the hockey in the playoffs, you could see maybe a Philip Deneau is able to shut down a McDavid or a Draisaitl. And weird things happen, but it feels like the Oilers' year to me. Yeah. Um, let's go from there uh, and let's tackle Colorado series. Uh, gentlemen, uh, let's start with you, Wino. What do you, where do you see the Colorado Avalanche right now? Because I believe, Ken, if I'm not, I don't want to steal your thunder, but I believe Ken and I oh, no. still both have Colorado coming out of the, out of the West. Yeah, Colorado is, look, this is still a great team. But the depth has been not quite as bad as Tampa, but the depth has been salted away a little bit in terms of Gabriel Landis Cog being hurt, Nazem Kadri out the door, uh, not having Darcy Kemper, and no, nothing against Alexander Georgiev. But the, the the players who have been who helped this team win, it's not the same collection of talent as last year, which was an absurd group to, to, to put together in one year. And Jared Bednar is still an excellent excellent coach. The Kraken have give the, given the Avalanche fits this year. Uh, they mm. won two out of the, the three meetings, and, and the only one that, that Colorado won was in a shootout. I'm not saying the Kraken pull off an upset. I don't see it here. But in talking to, to, to friends we know who work for Seattle, Ken, I, I think their yep. ideal matchup among the options were, was probably Colorado just because of that. I just don't see how Seattle can, can, can contend with, with Colorado given the, the lack of goaltending. Ken? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be uh, it can be a tighter series, but I mean, no offense to Grubauer. I mean, this is a team that would need a goaltender to steal a couple of games here. Uh, I think they've had a, they're a great story in terms of their improvement from last year to this year, and we know Dave Haxtell will have their team ready to go. I think right now McKinnon and Rantanen are playing at a ridiculous level, and you know, even without the guys that Wino mentioned, uh, who are obviously key cogs, and we all we saw Andrew Cogliano. Uh, look like he might have got hurt the other day too. So those are big things, but if they're going to bring back Makar for the playoffs, it sounds like, for game back, one. Yeah. Manson will be back. So I expect that they're going to be a very tough out. And I think that Georgiev is one of the, has had one of the more underrated seasons in the National Hockey League. I don't think he is going to be getting Vesna consideration, but no. like 
62 starts, Sean. Great 40 point. wins. Great point, Ken. 919, five shutouts, 253. One of the like, success so, stories of the year. Like, it's the only reason he's not in the conversation is because of what Ilya Sorokin, UC Saros, Linus, Almar, Connor, Hellebuck, Jake Ottinger, all of those guys are way more prominent when it comes to the media uh, buzz around them. This is one of the most exceptional offseason moves that was made by any team. And there were tons of great teams that made moves. And they immediately signed him to a three-year deal to line up in their window at an affordable price tag. Now, does he have to show it when it matters? Of course it does. But there are no signs that he cannot handle A, the workload, or B, the type of game that will be played in front of him. So that's honestly what last year Kemper did his job, Stephen, as you know. Yes. But but he was he was Oh, I think we're losing Ken's uh Well, I think Ken made his point. Uh, yeah, that Ken, was, that was okay. I, 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 having covered the playoffs with last year with Ken, I think I can finish the sentence. Kemper did his job yes. behind a great team like that, and it's still a great team uh, in front of Alexander Griegiev. Well, and so this, this is the thing. Why no? Sorry, Ken, you're back. Uh, back. You, you cut out for a bit Sorry there. Uh, Steve, Steve did a great job of, of finishing your point. Um, Perfect. Th- that's the thing that I think is dangerous. When I hear McCarr coming back in, when I hear Manson coming back in, this team still has the best, the best defense core in the entire NHL. And one of the things that I don't think they were given credit for last year, because they were so good offensively, because they had so many stars who could put the puck in the back of the net, was the idea that this team was an impossible Rubik's Cube to solve when it came to defense, right? Like, you, they, they are a team that knows how to grind things down. They're comfortable in those low-scoring games. And that's the one thing about this team. I still think if you take a look at them, and yes, they're missing players that they had last year, although a number of those players were hurt down the stretch and and they got by without those players. One player they didn't get by without is Gabriel Landeskog, who's absolutely huge for this team, and they haven't filled that hole. But to me, I still take a look at this team, and I still think they have kind of everything they need to put enough pucks in the net because they've got such strong defending and a goaltender to your point, Ken, which I think you needed to bring that up because Georgiev is to me just one of the quietest stories in the NHL that no one is talking about this year. Another, you know, I, I've said that I said this, if you want to play the shortest game in the world, play uh, the game, point out the mistake that Joe Sackick made, right? He doesn't make any, right? That's, that's the issue. And so this is another guy that when they got Georgiev, I remember looking at it and thinking, it looked to me for a while like Georgiev was going to be the guy in New York. And I was thinking they're going to have a great goaltender for years. And then they ended up finding an even better one in Shesterkin. But it doesn't mean that Georgiev doesn't have the potential to be a top goaltender in the NHL. I think he makes them better in net this year. It's not going to be as easy because they can't score as much. But I still think they have enough big big wheels to get the job done. And let's be honest, this team almost finished first in the conference with an absolute nightmare of a surgical ward this season and injured players. It is insane that they ended up in the spot that they ended up in. I do think that we are not talking enough about the Colorado Avalanche because the fact they survived what they survived. This is a team that had, what, a seven-game losing streak or lost seven of eight games? Usually you go through a stretch like that. That's one ten. That's 10% of a season. You throw away 10% of a season and you still almost come back to win the conference 
this is a team that is capable of doing amazing things in short, not short spurts, but in in, in times and, and, and recovering from things going really poorly. I still have a ton of belief in the Colorado Avalanche, and I, I truly think the only team that has a shot to take them down, uh, heading down the stretch, is the uh, is the Edmonton Oilers. I'm going to go uh, Colorado Avalanche in five. Um, let's move on to. I, I find this an intriguing one because let's. I'll be honest. Dallas intrigues me as a team. The Dallas Stars are our team, and I'll get to it. But I want you to go first, Wino. What do you see happening in that series? Yeah, this this is a coin flip series to me because the, the the wild with how they play, it's going to be a grind of a series. And, and, and whether they're whether it's Mark Andre Fleury or Philip Gustafson, they're going to get at least solid goaltending. Uh, you've got a guy like Kaprizov who can score. They can defend really well. And then you've got Dallas where Jason where Jason Robertson's putting up tons of points and can score and drives the bus there. Miro Heiskanen having a, a fantastic Norris caliber season. He won't win it, but he's he's up there. Uh, and, and Jake Ottinger can we, we almost saw him steal that series against Calgary last year when, when when Dallas was kind of an underdog. The Stars aren't underdogs anymore. Uh, this is a Pete DeBoer knows how to coach in the playoffs. He knows how to coach on, on deep runs. I'm going to give Dallas the advantage uh, of, of coaching slightly DeBoer over Dean Evanson uh, and, and give them a, a series in seven uh, over Minnesota. And I do think the Dallas Stars could take out the Colorado Avalanche if Jake Ottinger plays at, at, at his elite level. Yeah, I love the series. Uh, I would love it more if I were a Minnesota Wild fan, if Joel Erickson Eck were available, because he is the kind of center that you need to go up against Rope Hints and some of the, the yeah. star power with the stars. So although I love the physical nature, the Minnesota Wild play a playoff style of game. For me, why not? I think it's going to be Gustafson between the pipes, at least to start, is what it sounds start. like for me. Uh, from having been there last week in the last week of the regular season. Flurry, you know, solid, but Gustafson's won the job. I mean, it's a job share for sure, but I think he's earned the game one start. Uh, I think Kaprizov is getting back up to speed, and he can be a single-handed force at times, but to me, they just this is a kind of a series where the, the Wilds' lack of a true number one center could get them into trouble with all due respect to Ryan Hartman or whoever is playing on that line. I think Marcus Felino is going to make life difficult on guys like Haskinen and some of the other mobile defenders that will be in the lineup. And I think that Dallas has done a nice job with its depth. Last year, they were a one-line hockey team. That was the other thing about that series yep. with Calgary, guys. Yes, Ottinger, yes, but they were a one-line hockey team. And, you know, Lindholm and Backlund essentially not neutralized those guys, but held them enough in check that they still were able to squeak out the series in a lot of ways. So uh, I love the way Dallas plays. Dallas could be a team that goes all the way. Uh, they're a very good hockey team. Uh, they've got a lot going for them, including, you know, I think Pete DeBoer has done a very good job there in terms of, you know, helping their structure, but also encouraging a little bit more of offensive play. Wyatt Johnson's had an underrated Calder season, and uh, I think it's going to be um, stars in six or seven. Uh, but it's going to be a test for them for sure. Okay. Uh, I'm going in a little bit of a different direction. I'll say this. Okay. I'm going to use the Winnipeg Jets as an example because they got the Dallas Stars old coach. I remember the beginning of the year when Pete DeBoer went to Dallas and Rick Bonus came to Winnipeg. I thought the Winnipeg Jets needed a little bit more of what uh, Rick Bonus taught the Dallas Stars to be that suffocating defensive team that just knew how to grind you and grind you and grind you. Like, can every series we've covered that the Dallas Stars yeah. were a part of, you could see the discomfort that they put their opponents in. Now, that's what Minnesota does. 
Um, but I thought the Jets needed to add that. I thought what Dallas needed to add was what DeBoer brings and a little bit more yeah. of, you know, the San Jose Sharks days and a little bit more fun and a little bit more offensive hockey. And what I thought, and Ken, you'll remember this, and the chat room will remember this, there was a time where I'd lost faith in the Dallas Stars through this season. It was around the time where the Jets were duking it out for first in the, in the division, and Dallas just wasn't getting anything done. And my takeaway was that they'd gone the DeBoer route, but the DeBoer route was so much fun that they had entirely abandoned anything that they had learned from Rick Bonus, and they stopped being that team that knew how to grind you and just started being a team that liked to go out and play like, you know, Jason Robertson plays very free, very open. Let's go out. We can we can win games, but we can win them 6-5, whereas we're used to winning them 2-0 or 2-1 or whatever. I thought that they'd lost that ability, and then I saw something out of the Dallas Stars at the end of the season that surprised me. Guys, I'm going to go through this. Take a look at their last number of games. They beat the Blues one to nothing. They beat the Blues five to two. They beat the Red Wings six to one. They beat the Golden Knights two to one. They beat the Flyers four to one, and they beat the Nashville Predators when they were coming on strong five to one. They had one off game where the Avalanche, no surprise, beat them five to two. Then they go back to beating the Stars or the Coyotes five to two. They beat the Blackhawks four one. This team quietly, in my estimation, remembered all the lessons that they learned from Rick Bonus, they know they remember how to be that team that knows how to grind you down and kill you and just absolutely make you just feel discomfort for an entire series. But they seem to have kept the ability from that Pete DeBoer has taught them to score goals. I think that this isn't going to be a close series. I don't think that Minnesota, I think Minnesota may be able to match their discomfort. I don't think they can match their uh, their offensive output. And yes, we know Minnesota is going to get good goaltending, but the point has been made by both you gentlemen and in the chat room. Ottinger is a guy who is like, you can pin a series on that guy. If you can pin a series on Connor Hellebuck, we've seen that you can pin a series on Jake Ottinger. I don't think this one is close. I'm thinking this one is either a sweep or at least a five-game series. I think the Dallas Stars are Spicy. playing that good of hockey. That's what. That's where I'm at with that. Okay, we got to move over to the other side. Let's start with the Boston Bruins and a series that probably somewhat interests Winnipeg Jets fans and that Paul Maurice uh, and his Florida Panthers found their way into the playoffs. Um, I'm hearing Wino. I don't know if you've... I, I, I think this is pretty common knowledge that a flu is tearing its way through the Boston Bruins dressing room. What role can this play and do the uh, Florida Panthers flu or not have a chance against a team that had the greatest regular season that we have ever seen in the history of the game? Well, I think, uh, Sean, because of the virus going through the Bruins right now, I- I'm not thinking this is a sweep, and, and I wouldn't even be surprised if, if the Panthers win game one tonight in, in Boston, kind of with all the hype going on, with so many guys sick, Patrice Bergeron maybe being out. I, I think this is a series that could start rough for the Bruins, and, and it's almost the adversity. Scotty Bowman said that like when you go through these these great regular seasons, you need, you need to feed off adversity, and you don't go looking for it, but this virus and maybe some injuries early will be giving the Bruins the adversity they need, and we're going to see real quick if they can respond. Uh, when, when the Lightning in, in 2019 fell down to the Columbus Blue Jackets, blew that lead, they couldn't re- recover, and, 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 they, and then obviously they got swept, and, and we know the result of all that. But I, I, I just think some adversity at the start of the series is good for the Bruins. They're going to wind up winning it. But I love Matthew Kachuk today 
pulling the old, like, we're going to have to do the best thing on earth to win one game in this series and just making this this David Goliath, no one thinks we can even win a game sort of, of approach. And if the Panthers can get maybe a game from Kachuk to steal it, maybe a game from, from Alex Lyon to steal it, I, I, I think there's a chance because the only two teams to beat Boston twice this year, the Florida yeah. Panthers and the Ottawa Senators, I think there's a little bit more to this series than a lot of people are thinking. I still think the Bruins are a dominant team. They're going on a long run. But this is an older team. Everybody, no one's giving the Panthers a chance, and that always makes you nervous. Yeah, and for me, uh, Bruins in six. I think that they can, you know, maybe uh, probably five, but I'm going to go six just to give myself a little bit of uh, breathing room here. Uh, I think that Barkov is, you know, one of the few players that can go up against Patrice Bergeron and 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 be in the conversation as a two-way player. Uh, that's not to say that Bergeron will not limit the damage against, but uh, I do think that he's also such a good defensive player that. Uh, I think that there will be some neutralization for both parties in that series. I think they'll both be very effective, but uh, that's a fun matchup uh, that maybe not all people would look at and say, oh, you know, this is something you should be looking at. Uh, To me, Boston's defense is just so much deeper than Florida's. No offense to them. Brandon Montour has had an excellent season, but, you know, when healthy, McAvoy and Lindholm are going to be on, you know, in consideration for the Norris for a long time. Uh, they were, I would say that they were already a capable Stanley Cup champion before they made the trades uh, that brought them Tyler Bertuzzi, Dmitry Orloff, and Garnet Hathaway, all of whom can play an important role. Uh, when Charlie Coyle, Tyler Bertuzzi, and Taylor Hall are a third line, uh, that tells yeah. you that we were talking about depth quite a bit during this show, guys. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, but uh, I do not see a lot of teams matching that type of depth. Uh, in any organization. And honestly, I think that the Jake DeBrusque story is uh, one of the great stories this year. A guy who looked like he was on his way out. There was a coaching change and Jake is rejuvenated and had a great year. Uh, David Posternock is also (laughs) just a ridiculous season. I mean, in any other year, we're talking about him for the Hart Trophy and we're still talking about him probably as the number two, uh, definitely in the two, three range. But uh, I just think that this is a guy who, and this is a great example, and, and I'm just going to tie the bow on it here. We've heard so much about guys about being underpaid and not appreciating their contracts. So you know what you need to do if you would like to double your salary? Play like David Posternock has played on his deal that paid him $6 million. So that that's my suggestion to a few folks who are looking for a raise out there. Um, the way I look at this series, I think of the Florida Panthers, surprisingly, uh, as a little bit of a Winnipeg Jets type team in that I take a look at them and I think I haven't seen enough of them to know that they've locked in what their true identity is. And they're going against a team that's identity has not only been solid this season, but even before this year has been solid for a decade in the leadership that they have there that know who they are, what they're supposed to be, how to show up at the right time. And I think the one thing that should be remembered in this series is this team last season, like the, the Florida Panthers were sublime to watch in the regular season. They were such a good team. And then they just lost it in the playoffs. Like if you remember, and Wino, you would have covered that series, but yep. the, the Washington Capitals gave them all that they could handle in that in that series. And then they went on after that and just were never able to get their feet 
underneath them against the Tampa Bay Lightning. This was a team that was capable of doing a lot, but kind of that you have to remember a lot of these players still have that can we or can't we in the playoffs mindset that they're trying to break. That is a tough, tough mindset to break. Now, maybe just maybe going up against a team like the Boston Bruins, who they should not have a chance against, allows them the freedom to say, hey, you know what? We're not even going to worry about that. No one expects anything from us. We're the underdog. We can go in and do whatever. I just think that there's too much going on in their heads to get there. And part of what's going on in their heads is the idea that I, I have not seen a definitive uh, uh, identity out of this team. And going up against a team that knows exactly who they are, to me, I think that uh, what we're going to see in that series is a fairly prompt five-game series victory. And I think what we will see is the victories for the Boston Bruins will all look very much alike, just like it was against the uh, the Florida Panthers last year. Um, it was like a Xerox copy watching game one, two, three, four of of the uh, um, of the Tampa Bay Lightning as they swept the Florida Panthers out of the playoffs. I think the same thing is going to happen in this situation here. Uh, let's move on to the um, the New York Islanders and let's grab the Carolina Hurricanes. Ken, let's start with you. Yeah, for me, this is upset special. And I mean, yeah. I, I love the Carolina Hurricanes and what they stand for, all of those things. But uh, their goaltending is something that has not been addressed, uh, you know, with all due respect to the players that are in the mix there. I think Ranta, unless I'm wrong, I thought I saw a headline saying Ranta starting game one. Why not? Can you confirm that? Or yes. No? Yeah, he's using that for game one. Yes. And again, this is a capable guy, but. I just think that the guy at the other end of the ice, uh, Ilya Sorokin, is one of the best goalies in the league. He will be getting Vesna Convert, you know, consideration again this year. Uh, it's interesting. The the Islanders are one of those teams that you know you're kind of wondering what's happening there. Bo Horvat's done a great job filling in. Uh, I think it's a tight series. I, I think that the Hurricanes are a team that is capable. I had them in my preseason predictions as my you know Eastern Conference finalist, or sorry, winner and the finalist to the Colorado Avalanche. But as soon as Svechnikov was hurt, along with uh, Max Pacioretty, uh, for a team that doesn't score enough, uh, I cannot bank on them. They play very strong, sound defensive style and and all of those things, and they're not going to be a pushover. But I think that the Islanders win this series in seven. Uh, I think that the Horvat deal is going to be something where we all looked at each other and why now I know you and I texted each other shortly after the deal was made. Well, what is Lou doing? Oh, well, what Lou is doing is getting his team back in the back in the playoffs and locking down a position of strength, which they already had capable centermen in Brock Nelson and Matthew Barzell. So uh, I like a lot of things about the Islanders. They're a team kind of in transition, but I think they can win at least a round. And Sorokin's the kind of guy that could they, they could be one of those uh, L.A. Kings, eight, you know, sleepers. I know they're the seventh seed and not the eighth seed, but I don't think there's a lot of teams that are really excited to be going up against them. Uh, I think they win the series, and I'm going to say seven, but I think it's probably it could go six. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in, in in lockstep with you, Kenny. I, in, the Boer Horvat trade, and really not giving up a whole lot. Anthony Bildelio yeah. is not a player who was winning there and working out there. And when you, when you have a Horvat filling in for Matt Barzell and that, now Matt Barzell coming back uh, and, and maybe be able to score that extra goal or two, because Carolina in that series against the Rangers last year, they couldn't get the hurricanes couldn't get that extra goal to, to, to be able to win that series. And, and they still don't Don Waddell went out and, and got Jesse Pugliarvi and, and Shane Goss at the deadline. That's not enough, especially after losing Pacioretty and, and losing Svechnikov to injury. Uh, I know he was in on Timo Meyer, and, and that would have been a great trade. 
But I, I, I do think if Don Liddell would have done more, James, even a James Van Riemsdyk and a John Klingberg, to be able to, 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 to kind of boost that offense, then it'd be great. But I, 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 I'm with you. I think Islanders in six or seven. Uh, I've got Islanders in six. I'm going to go down that exact same road. Uh, the discomfort factor that I talked about, uh, that certain teams uh, play against other teams, the, the, what I think that the Dallas Stars have rediscovered, uh, the Islanders have that in spades. That's why they've had the success in the playoffs they've had the last little while. And I think of a team like the Carolina Hurricanes, who last year felt that discomfort going up against the New York Rangers. I didn't like the way they responded. This is another team that has that playoff mental block in their head. Um, and I think the New York Islanders are the perfect kind of team and play the perfect style to prey upon that mental block. Uh, and that's why I've got the Islanders going in six. Let's go to the next one, which I think may be the most entertaining series of the first round between the New York Rangers and the New Jersey Devils. Wino, what do you got there? This is another, this is another one where it's two contrasting styles, too, that it's a coin flip. I mean, if, if the Devils, who have out-boat-raced the Rangers up and down the ice multiple times this season, if they can get their speed going and, and play that kind of fast style of hockey, and it's not just skating fast. They do everything quickly. They, yes. they, get, they close on you defensively quickly. They move the puck quickly. Everything the Devils do is fast. And if they can continue doing it, they're going to give the Rangers fits because the Rangers are a very talented team, a little bit older, a little more experienced. The goalie advantage, though, goes to the Rangers. And, and Igor Shosturkin, it, it can do for the Rangers and did do for the Rangers last year what Ilya Sorokin can do for the Islanders, what Jake Andre can do for the Dallas Stars. And, and, and Vitek Vanacek, who, who I, I know well from his time in Washington, he wasn't all that good in, in the playoffs last year. Not that it was his fault either the last two years or Ilya Samsonov, uh, uh, in Capitals playoff losses, but until Vitek Vanacek becomes a, a stud playoff goal, at least a solid playoff goalie, I, I, I give the advantage to the Rangers because I, I think they have the kind of players who know how to neutralize the devil's speed. I still think it's a six or seven game series and I'm going to give the nod to the Rangers. Yeah. Rangers for me also, I think it's going to be a fascinating series, but I think for as much as the talk is how the Rangers are going to have to adjust to the devil style. I think it's the complete opposite. Uh, I think the Devils are going to have to get ready for a heavier game. Yes, they are going to play with speed like they always do, and that's what's made them one of the most entertaining teams in the National Hockey League. But the Devils, for me, are a team that is on the rise and rapidly rising. But to me, this feels like their hiccup. It's going to be their heart, heartbreak hotel uh, in any other matchup. I, you know, if they had been able to place Carolina, I would have gladly taken the Devils in that series. To me, I think even though the regular season has maybe suggested otherwise. And if it gets it into a track meet style of game, yes, the Devils can win that series. But to me, the obvious edge is in goal. And even though Shesterkin uh, did not play quite at a Vesna level this year, I think he's going to be ready to get back to that form in the playoffs. And just given the additions that they had, I mean, I think the Rangers are dangerous and I think they could come out of the East and that... That has more to do with the Atlantic beating each other's brains in for the first two rounds for me, but that's why I'm taking the Rangers in this series and also to come out of the East. You guys, you guys are right. Brass Balls Blake has sound logic here. Says He says, I think the Devils' lack of playoff experience will show and the Rangers win in five. The Rangers should win this series. 
I don't know why I'm going with the Jersey Devils on this one. I feel like there's going to be a coming out party here, with like this, this team way. here right now. New Jersey Devils versus New York Rangers. It says fourth line maniac like vintage New York Islanders when the young Oilers came up against them in the mid-1980s. I mean, the one thing about that is the Oilers needed to lose to the Islanders first yep. before they got back. And maybe that's a situation we're looking at here. And, and like... That that is the way it should play out. The New York Rangers should walk into this series. Their experience should be able to carry them over the top. These guys have been there before. What we saw from the New Jersey Devils is one of the biggest point turnarounds that we saw in this entire season. Um, there was just so much about them that I liked last year, Jersey, before they turned things around. And then what I liked this year was that start they got out to, and then they kind of fell flat on their face, but they rediscovered themselves. Like There was every reason for that team to falter and kind of not find themselves down the stretch. And in the end, what they did is rediscovered themselves and then nearly chased down a Carolina Hurricanes team to avoid this first round matchup in this situation here. Something about them I like. Something about them tells me that they're, you know, th- th- this whether it's the crosstown rivalry, I think they're going to play out of their minds and we're going to see the very best version of the uh, New Jersey Devils, not a tight, worried first time to the playoffs version of them. I think we'll see that version in the second round of the playoffs, but I'm calling the upset. I'm going to call the New Jersey Devils winning this one in seven, which brings us to our last one. And we, I know you got to get out of here, Wino, so we'll get you to give this to us quickly here, but the one that everyone either loves to love or loves to hate, <laughs> but we need to know what your take is on the Toronto Maple Leafs and how you think they fare against the team that's had their playoff number in the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's the year, guys. I, I, I think I think that the Leafs get over the hump. I, I don't know if Ilya Samsonov is the goaltender to get them on a long run. I still think Samsonov will falter at some point in the playoffs. And, and if he plays like he played in the Bruins series with the Capitals a couple of years ago and gives the puck away all the time and all these things, it's going to be very ugly. But Tampa, you mentioned the Devils. Andre Pilat is on the Devils now. So I think if you're going to pick Jersey, he's a big reason why. That. Yeah. But, but not having a uh, uh, an Andre Palat, not having a Ryan McDonough, uh, uh, just the, the the core that's been salted away for the Tampa Lighting for me is the reason why I've got the the, the Toronto Maple Leafs in six. Uh, just I, I think it, it's going to happen eventually, or it's not. And 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 what's going to happen if they get smacked by the Bruins in five in the second round? Does everybody get fired? I don't know, but I, I think. I think there's something off about this Tampa team, even getting Tanner Janot, who's not starting this, the, the series and, and not available for game one. I, I just I just think there's too much gone from those great lightning teams. And so I'll take the Leafs to win the series. There you go. Yeah, I'm going to take it, the lead. If you, sorry, Steve, if you've got to bounce thanks out. For, thanks for being joining us. Oh, thanks, guys. Awesome. Talk awesome. You Thank you for Enjoy having us. You bet. Um, Ken, before you do your thing here, uh, it's been asked too many times. I just yeah, didn't know. I knew we needed to get uh, we needed to get Steve out of here because he had to go. So, <laughs> Randy or T. Will says, Randy, the show has been good, but it's got a fever. The only prescription is more headband. I couldn't agree. Let's make this a Sean's headband version of the Kenny and Randy show. Let's hit it. <laughs> Kenny Wino thinks that uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs finally slay their boogeyman. What do you think? (laughs) 
Well, uh, you know, I'm very fond of John Cooper and everything that he has to say and offer, but I do believe this is also the year for the Leafs. Uh, I, I do think it goes seven and not six. I think they will have to sweat it out in a game seven. And if they get to a game seven, we know that game sevens have not been kind to the Leafs, but that's why I'm picking them in seven. I think they're going to get pushed to the absolute limit in the first round. And Sean, that can be one of the reasons that maybe the Leafs can actually go on an extended run. Not to say that they will necessarily. They're a team that is capable. My only questions, I actually, and I understand Wino's feelings about Ilya Samsonov, but I watched him in the head-to-head game with Georgiev. I saw those two periods on that day when I had that crazy flight thing when I went down to Scotiabank uh, Arena to watch the two periods of the game between the Red Hot Avalanche and the Red Hot Leafs, and I thought that Samsonov played great. So does he have to do it when the lights are brightest? Of course he does, but I think he can do it. I think he is capable, and I think that this is the year that... I mean, we know we know this. No matter who the Leafs play, they're going to have the second-best goalie in the series. But I do think that they're ready to slay the Dragon. And if they don't do it now, I think that their offseason will be as tumultuous, if not more tumultuous, than the one that we could see in Winnipeg. So Ooh, uh, wow. I, do, I do think that the Leafs are going to win this series. I do think that uh, we've talked about this a lot. Ryan O'Reilly is someone, for me, who puts the Leafs over the top. He's the type of player that can go head to head with a Braden point uh, and not be, you know, not be intimidated in the least. I think he's going to have an excellent series as long as he stays healthy. My other concern about the the Leafs is their defense core. They have plenty of depth there. Do they they have some puck movers? Do they have enough? Can they get the job done against a team like Tampa that knows how to win? They're going to see a lot of Corey Perry and Pat Maroon and those guys who like to run you through the end boards, Nick Paul. I love the way that Anthony Sorelli plays, but I think this, if the Leafs are going to get over the hump, and I think this is the year. Um, Let's make that uh, a clean sweep. Uh, I think, um, and this is, you know how I talked about this down the stretch with the Winnipeg Jets. I said the Jets are going to make the playoffs, and this is not an overall, you know, feeling of faith in the way the Winnipeg Jets were playing. It's a lack of faith. In uh, in in the teams that were chasing them, this to me has a little bit of a both feeling. I, I I do think that the expiration date is starting to come up on the Tampa Bay Lightning. We saw too many times this year where their head coach had to chastise them in the public. Uh, we saw too many times where he did so, and it didn't get much of a response. I think it's hard to be a team that plays top of its abilities hockey for as long as this team has. I mean, we're going on year four right now. And let's remember that, you know, years before that, you know, I, I mean, sorry, which year is it that I'm thinking of uh, the year, the Washington capitals go and win the Stanley cup final, the Tampa Bay lightning are the team that they beat in the conference right. final on their exactly. way there. Like this is a team that forget the fact that they went to the cup final last year, forget the fact they went to two cup finals the year before that. Yes. The year before that is when they have the disaster and lose out in the first round after winning the president's trophy. So playing an insane amount of steady hockey throughout the regular season, the year before that, they're a hair away from going to the Stanley cup final. This team has been playing out of its mind for five, six, seven years. Never mind the fact that in 2015, they went to the cup final. This is 
we're go- we're getting on the better part of a decade. This team has been on its game, playing a ton of hockey, playing at a really, really high level. I can't remember over that time, Ken, other than them falling in that four uh, four game four game sweep yep. by the Columbus Blue Jackets. I can't remember a time that we've seen from this team that they've struggled to put it together the way that they have, that they've looked like a disinterested team. We saw them come into Winnipeg and do it one, one night. We've seen that version of them that just kind of looks disinterested and competing, but it's not just them and lacking faith in them. The Toronto Maple Leafs are a ridiculously deep team up front. uh, They've got the kind of players that can play in the playoffs. I love their pickups down the stretch. I love what they picked up uh, at the trade deadline. You mentioned Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly is everything this team has ever needed and a human heat seeker who can absolutely shut down the best that we see on other teams. We're talking about people who affect series. Hey, I go back to the original point about the Winnipeg Jets and we should expect this guy to have an effect on the series, that guy to have an effect on the series. Pierre-Luc Dubois could do what he did against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Or he couldn't. We don't know because we haven't seen enough of a book on him. What we know about Ryan O'Reilly is Ryan O'Reilly most definitely has the ability to walk into an NHL playoff series and cause absolute fits for the opposing team and their best players. And the Leafs have that now in an ability to send him out and obliterate the other team create room for Mitch Marner to do what he does, for Neander to do what he does, what for Matthews to do what he does. You're right. The goaltending is an issue here, but I just think that this may be the time for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I know people don't like hearing it. One thing I think we always can always have to point out is I never pick the Leafs. All of you people out there who are like, oh, the Canadian media, they always pick the Leafs. I never, never ever pick the Leafs. I had the Leafs losing to Tampa in the first round last year. I had them losing to Tampa in the first round the year before that. I never pick the Leafs. I have the Toronto Maple Leafs getting past the Tampa Bay Lightning, getting past the Boston Bruins, and getting past whoever comes out of that other division and going to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, I, and, and so much of that, Ken, is the Ryan O'Reilly factor because I just honestly think that there are very few players who have shown over the last number of years that they have the ability to put their mark on and change the course of the series. Of all the teams almost knocked off the the uh, Colorado Avalanche, it was the St. Louis Blues with not that yeah. much different of a roster that we saw them fall apart this year. And one of the main reasons was Ryan O'Reilly you know, went into God level in that series. If he does that for the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're going to be a really, really hard team to beat, even with the goaltending they have. I've got them winning the series. I want to say five. I just think the playoff savvy that we've seen from the Tampa Bay Lightning over the years is just too strong. So I'm going to call the Leafs at six in that series. Yep, right on. Um, do we have anywhere else to go? No, I got some more writing I should do. We should get we get moving. Okay, here. well, I'm just going to throw a quick shout out to the Kenny and Rennie OGs at the Johnston Group. You won't find two businesses with the same challenges, but you will find 30,000 businesses with Chambers Plan employee benefits proudly administered by our friends at Johnston Group. Chambers Plan is Canada's number one plan for employee benefits because it evolves with the way you work and live. The plan is run as a not-for-profit designed specifically to support small businesses and its unique pooling strategy keeps rates stable, so you won't have any surprises at your next renewal. Chambers Plan now comes with professional consulting on key financial, legal, and HR issues, and teledoc telemedicine services are included with every health option. See how Chambers Plan can benefit your business by visiting Chamber Plan. 
And I would also like to, I mean, we might as well give away a shovel while we're at it here. Let's do do this. And it's time to throw a spotlight on the comments and choose a standout for the Home Field Dig Deeper Award. I'm going to have to go back into my bag of tricks here, and I'm going to say this. This one from Brady is pretty darn good. He says the Bruins lost 12 games over an 82-game season. That's approximately one loss in a seven-game series. But he still thinks the cat steal too. I, th- I like the ballsiness of the call. I like the breakdown of just how significant what the Bruins have done this year and what it translates to in the playoffs. Because of that, Brady, you are our home field winner. Thank you, Brady, for that winning comment. And just like Brady, home field is always going to dig deeper to find the best marketing solution for your company. Find out how at myhomefield.ca. And Brady, you know what to do. Direct message me at SN Sean Reynolds. Send me your full name. Send me your email address, and I will send you a voucher for your very own Kenny and Rennie slash home field dig deeper trunk shovel. Ken, uh... You're doing work on this series. You'll be working news uh, with uh, Dan Murphy. I did want to say this. Ken sent out a tweet earlier on in which he said I'd be reporting on oh, this sorry. series. Hosting. The funny part, what's that? should have said hosting. Yes, I was going to say, so for the first time ever, I have been named as uh, a host for a playoff series. Uh, I will be hosting this series between the uh, Winnipeg Jets and the Vegas Golden Knights, which means you will see me on the broadcast and in the pregames before the broadcast. Uh, It is quite simply the greatest accomplishment of my career up to date. Uh, I want to say for all those out in in Kenny and Rennie land who think Kenny is the good guy and I'm the bad guy, I would never diminish his accomplishments the way he did by tweeting that I was just the the you know reporter in this series. You need to recheck who is who's the good guy and who's the bad guy in this scenario, all you people. But I'm happy to be bringing the series to you, hosting that series. It means a ton to me. Ken is going to be rocking it. I am well a little deserved, bit jealous, buddy. Well deserved. He got, he got to do uh, he got to do some work with Dan Murphy, who's going to be coming in and doing news on this series. We're lucky to have Dan Murphy. Just an absolute pro and you'll notice that in the hits that he does with ken i'm jealous ken please never forget me my friend never forget me other than that all you people we really appreciate you popping in can't wait to chat with you we'll have our shows continue on after the games where we'll get here we'll convene we'll talk about what's happening with the winnipeg jets can they show up can they be the best version of themselves? And can they get by the Vegas Golden Knights? It'll start tomorrow. Until then, enjoy the playoffs that are happening. Up until then, we will enjoy Vegas. Thank you all. And we will talk to you after the next sponsors, game. Sponsors. Let's shut this down. Oh, oh, last thing I should say before we do this. If you appreciate these conversations happening in these spaces, please, please appreciate our sponsors who fight to keep these conversations happening in these spaces. For us, that's Vittorio Rossi, the TransCanada Brewing Company, the Johnston Group, Lou Ferlin, and of course, Homefield. Thank you so much to them. Thank you to you all. We will talk to you after a huge game one in Las Vegas. Let's shut this down. The Kenny and Rennie Show is brought to you by Homefield, Cambrian Credit Union, Lou Ferlin, Trans Canada Brewing, Vittorio Rossi, and Johnston Group.